0: Good morning. Today we celebrate more than just an event, more than just a holiday. We celebrate Jesus, and that's what it should always be about. Not just on Easter Sunday, but celebrating Jesus every day and in all things. The Scriptures tell us that we are to give thanks in all things. We celebrate the one who died for our sins and triumphantly rose from the grave. We saw that in one of our songs. In the absence of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, I can say with absolute certainty that not a single person here or a person under my voice Would have been born. If we turn back the calendar far enough, we find a world that was rampant with disease and degeneration and destruction. And all of that would have wiped out humanity, no doubt, from the face of the earth. How many of you know that life is fragile? If you remove even one grandparent from your family lineage, then you wouldn't exist. Just take away one and you don't exist. In other words, it took every one of your grandparents to bring about you You see, without great-great-great-grandmother, there would be no great-great-grandmother. You want to know how I know that? Because you can only get a great-great-grandmother from a great-great-great-grandmother. Without great-great-grandmother, there would have been no potential, no ability to have A great-grandmother. You know how I know that? Because you can only get a great-grandmother from a great-great-grandmother. Do you see how fragile life is? If your great-grandmother would have been barren, then there would have been no grandmother. You want to know how I know that? Because you can only get grandmother from great-grandmother. And without grandmother, there would be no mother. (laughs) And without mother, there would be no you. Didn't I tell you life was fragile? Take away one of those people and you don't exist. It's a pretty amazing thought when you think about it, that you are here today, and that means the great-grandmothers, the mothers, the mothers on your side of the family have been in existence for a long time. How do I know that? Because remove one, take away one, and you don't exist In fact, let's take it one step further. If your biological mother had not become pregnant by your biological father, there would still be no you. In other words, your mother could only produce you through one man. You... We're not inside any other man other than your biological father. Each of us were created by the gene pool of both father and mother. You say, Pastor Mark, what in the world are you trying to say? I'm saying that the one man makes a difference. And Jesus is the one man. This morning, I'm going to minister for a few minutes through a message I'm calling the one man. And what I want us to see through the message today is this. Living the Christian life is not done through two men and a truck. It's accomplished through one man and a cross. I want us to see that the life of the believer doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be condemning. And it doesn't have to be exhausting. And many believers live exactly in that manner. It only becomes this way when we attempt to portray ourselves as either a hero, a Nero, Or a zero. That's the only time it becomes that way. If you want to be the hero, then you've got to live up to that every single day. If you want to be the Nero, the guy that could care less about Christianity, then you've got to live up to that every day. Unfortunately, so many people are living with the mentality of a zero. I'm just a dirty old worm in the ground. It's not true, folks. It's not true. It's a lie. Friends, the Scriptures tell us that it's in Christ. Come on. It's in Christ that we live and move and have our being. We have crossed the Kidron Valley, and we have arrived safely on the other side. I want to begin today by asking... A couple of questions. How many sins does a man have to commit to be labeled a sinner? Now just think about that for a second. How many sins does a man have to commit to wear that label, sinner? Is it one? Is it ten? Is it more habitual like 100? Is it more over the top like 1,000? And what if it's just a misdemeanor sin? You see, people like to categorize their sins. And as long as they're not committing what they think and what they call felony sins, you know, the dirty dozen sins, as long as they're not breaking the Ten Commandment type sins, then they're not really concerned about the other ones. They just kind of get used to them. But in doing so, they have overlooked what Jesus' own brother James wrote when he said, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Friends, I've been saying for some time now, the law is an impossible standard. You can't pay it hush money to shut up. But thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we are not under the law, but under grace. Therefore, our sins are not counted against us. That's an amazing, amazing thought. Now, let's see if I can bring some perspective and clarity to the question that I just got through asking. How many sins do we have to commit in order to be labeled a sinner? We would agree that a man is labeled a thief by the stealing of one item. Would you agree with that? You're a thief. And we would agree that a man would be labeled a murderer by the taking of one life. We would agree that a man is labeled a hero by the rescuing of one person. And we would agree that a man or a woman is labeled an author by the writing of one book. So is it one sin? Is it that? Is that the answer to your question, Mark? Not so quickly. Let me tell you what you don't become through a single experience. No man is labeled an electrician by the wiring of one outlet. And no man is labeled a plumber by the unstopping of the kitchen sink, right? (laughs) So how is it then that some labels are attached to us through one-time actions and others are not? So let's ask the question a third time. How many sins does a man have to commit in order to wear the label sinner? Well, most people will say one. And that's because they equate that their sinful action brought about their sinful nature rather than their sinful nature brought about their sinful action. You see how we get it twisted around? Let me see if I can give you an example of this. A rock can be very destructive. It can be thrown through the window of a person's home but a rock cannot sin. How many of you know that? Very destructive. Tear a lot of things up. But a rock cannot sin. Why? Because it does not have a sinful nature. If you intentionally break somebody's windows out, they don't come and arrest the rock. They arrest you. When a believer sins, come on, it's not because they still have a sinful nature. And this is a big misnomer in the body of Christ. I hear it all the time. Well, that must be my sinful nature. Some of the Bibles are written with sinful nature in them, in fact. It's not true. So when a believer sins, it's not because they still have a sinful nature. We are new creations in Christ. Come on, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Let me tell you why we continue to sin. We continue to sin because we haven't learned how to quit throwing rocks. You see, a residue from the old programming, from the old way of thinking, A residue from our old habits and from our old hurts and pains is still present. This is why, friends, it is vital. It is so essential. It's so important to sit under the influence, get intoxicated under the influence of grace and truth. You've been wanting to get intoxicated since you became a believer? Well, there you go! Drink it in, folks! Grace and truth. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ will beat Jose Cuervo any day of the week. Come on. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright lives in this world. We won't need those lessons and that instruction in the world to come. We need it now. And it's grace that becomes the teacher. The answer to the question I've been asking you is actually zero. A man does not need to commit a sin in order to become a sinner. He just needs to be born. Just don't take away any grammats. And you'll eventually get here and you'll come in that condition. Because man is born with a sinful nature. You say, well then why wasn't Jesus born with a sinful nature? Because His seed was from God. His seed was from the Father who is absolute purity. He is our rock. Rocks can't sin. He is our cornerstone. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. And rocks like Christ are not born sinners. In Romans chapter 5, verses 12 and verse 15, we find these words. Come on. You hear me shouting these words all the time. Paul wrote these words. He said, Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, But the gift of God is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, who is that one man? Adam. Come on, it's Adam. If the many died by the trespass of the one man, look at these words. How much more, come on, did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many. Over the years, I've heard a lot of things. And what I'm about to say, you've heard yourself, you've even said it probably, or thought it at one time or another. People will say things like, It's not fair. It's just not fair that Adam's sinful nature was passed on to me. Have you heard that before? Not fair. Have you thought it? Have you said it? All three check marks for me. Yes, I've thought about it over the years. They'll say things like, I didn't ask for it. I don't even agree with it. And I did nothing to deserve it. And although all of that may be true, in the making of those statements, you know what people are arrogantly concluding? What they're arrogantly concluding is that if they hadn't received Adam's sinful nature, then they would have had a different outcome than Adam. Do You see how arrogant that is? In other words, unlike Adam, they would have not eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that forbidden tree. They wouldn't have done that. Friends, conjecture like this makes about as much sense as a piñata made out of concrete. (laughs) The, The truth be told, you would have sinned and you would have sinned with or without Eve's help. You would have done it. Think about it for a moment. We are believers in Christ Jesus, yet we still sin. We have that new nature. Remember, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And yet we continue to sin. Let me tell you what's not fair. It's not fair that the one man the one innocent man would have to leave the comforts and the perfection of heaven to come to earth and die a horrible death in place of sinful man. That is not fair. You want to talk about unfair? Well, that's unfair. It's not fair to God that people... Reject Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Friends, Jesus gave his innocent life because there was no way for us to erase the crime by giving back what we had stolen. You're still a thief. You don't cease to be a thief just because you got caught and you gave it back. Like Nicodemus, there was no way for us to enter back into our mother's womb and be born again. Had Nicodemus been able to go back into his mother's womb, he would have still been born a sinner all over again. That's why Jesus would look at him and say, Nicodemus! you got to be born of the water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirit. Marvel not. Don't be amazed when I tell you, you must be born again. And that word born means given life. And the word again means from above. You must be given life from above. Israel's greatest leader, and he didn't understand the simplest things that Jesus was talking to him about. Jesus shed his innocent blood because there was no way for us to purge our transgression by giving back a dead body, by breathing life back into an empty wineskin of the person's life that we took. There was no way for us to undo that. Jesus gave his life, because there was no way for our hero ribbon accolades to eclipse our zero ribbon days. If we'll be honest with ourselves, there have been more days that we have felt like a total zero in life rather than a hero. Would you be honest about that? Been a lot of days like that, have not it? I don't try to feel like a hero. I don't try to feel like anything. I just know who I belong to. The truth be told, we were all fact-checked and found to be sinful. But thank God for the obedience of the one man, namely Jesus Christ. Continuing in Romans chapter 5, Verses 18-19, we find these words. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So also see the obedience of the one man. Underscore those words in your heart this morning. Of the one man, the many will be made righteous. I wrote this on my Facebook yesterday. I said believers in Christ Jesus are as righteous as they will ever be. The stone has been rolled away. No sins remain." Come on. You see, under the old covenant, the sins of the fathers were visited to many generations. No, friends, no! I don't care what my great, 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 great grandmother was doing or my great, great grandmother. It doesn't matter! And, friends, I've got some stuff in my family tree that would make your heads spin if I was to tell you about it. It doesn't matter! It doesn't matter! How did we become righteous? It was through the obedience of the one man, Jesus Christ. Did we contribute somehow, Mark? Did we contribute to our justification? No! It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Is there an expiration date on our righteousness? Can our righteousness be forfeited? Can it be canceled? Are we righteous until we sin again? No, 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 and more no. One righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people for all time. Friends, the one who complains about the passing along of Adam's DNA and sinful nature is really caught in a web of confusion and distraction. It's all they're in right there. It's more than an excuse. All of our sin, all of our condemnation has been taken away, it says, by one act. Come on! One act of righteousness through the one man, Jesus Christ. Recently, I listened to a testimony of a father who told the story about his son. A young man that grew up in the church. A young man that loved God, and he loved the things about God with all of his heart. And then this young man got caught up in a relationship with a young lady and committed fornication. This man became so distraught and encumbered with the thought of his sin and the potential loss of his salvation that his emotions and Old Covenant theology convinced him that he was hearing God say to him, gouge out your eyes so that you can never lust again. Consequently, this man poured poison into his eyes and ended up in the hospital. I didn't hear the end of the story. So I don't know what his outcome was. I don't know what happened to him. But when I heard that, I said to Valerie the other day, I said, honey, this is why I continue to preach the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's examples of this kind of nonsense every direction you turn. I hear them all the time. Now, first of all, I want you to know that blind men can lust also. Come on. Lust is not an eye problem. It's a programming problem. You say, Pastor Mark, isn't there a scripture? Isn't there a scripture somewhere in the Bible? Didn't Jesus himself say something about gouging out your eyes if they cause you to sin? I got you now. Jesus said those words, didn't he? Yes, they're in the scriptures, but they're not instructions to us. Jesus was showing the Jews the impossible standard of the law. Please, allow me to be more graphic if I can. If a man were to follow Jesus' instruction then he would go to heaven one body part at a time. Nobody would die of old age. I mean, what are you going to do after you gouge out one eye and you still have a lust problem? Well, then you gouge out the other eye and you still have a lust problem. Now what, Jesus? Well, let's go with the arm. I've told you one body part at a time would make its way out into eternity. So you can see what he's showing us here is the impossibility of the standard of the law. That's all. Man would be like that Milton Bradley's game of operation. I remember that was one of the first games I ever played when I was a little kid you got those little metal tweezers going down through the little slots to get the funny bone and the bread basket. I forget all the body parts that are in there. But if we did it one by one, removing body parts one by one, man would be completely dismembered. Friends, Jesus purchased us. Come on! On the cross! He purchased us out of our sins. Sin is an inside parasite. And it cannot be evicted with poison or gouged out with a can opener. All the blame goes to sin. The real me is innocent. We must open our hearts and allow the one man, Jesus Christ, to extinguish and render useless the fiery and poison-tipped darts of the Old Covenant doctrine and to communicate to us that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. In other words, the rock may have been destructive in that young man's hand, but it didn't undo the truth that he was and is and will always be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, Jesus shed His unadulterated blood for our adulterated blood. Now, I want to share with you what I believe gets in the way. Come on. What gets in the way. Something's getting in the way. What is it that's getting in the way of us believing the glorious truth that by the one man's sacrifice... We were made perfect forever. That's Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. What gets in the way of us believing that truth? And as I was meditating on this message, I felt the Holy Spirit say it this way to me, It's the Kidron Valley syndrome. The Kidron Valley syndrome? Yes. May I remind us that Jesus Himself walked through the Kidron Valley on many occasions. In fact, He crossed the Kidron Valley with His disciples just before His crucifixion as He walked from Jerusalem through the Kidron Valley and over into the Garden of Gethsemane. What did He go there for? To pray to His Daddy. Daddy, the time is at hand. Daddy, it's so close. My heart beating sounds like the clock. Ticking, ticking, ticking. The Kidron Valley is a deep ravine off the eastern slope of Jerusalem. This valley separates what is known as the old city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. The Kidron Valley terrain begins just north, just north of Jerusalem. And it will descend to a depth of 4,000 feet along its 20-mile course. And the Kidron Valley will terminate when it reaches the bank of the Dead Sea. From Jerusalem to the Dead Sea and from religion to dead works, there is no life in evil. Did you know that the Dead Sea is nine times saltier than in the ocean? As a result, it cannot sustain life. Fish cannot live in the Dead Sea waters. Seaweed won't even grow in those waters. The Dead Sea excludes all Forms of life other than a little bacteria. That's it. During the flood seasons, the Jordan River and other smaller streams will occasionally overflow. And in doing so, it will carry its fish into the Dead Sea. But not a single one of them survive. From Jerusalem, the city of Muslims and Jews, to the Dead Sea, Both are vivid reminders of humanity's need for the one man who can sustain life. There is no life in religion. There is no life in dead works. The Kidron Valley was known for its funerals. It was the common cemetery for the departed. After sunset, it was a creepy place. That's why when the soldiers crossed the Kidron Valley to go and arrest Jesus, the Bible says that they were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. How many soldiers was it? One version of the Bible says it was a band of soldiers. A band is one-tenth of a legion. There's 6,000 soldiers in a legion. A band is 600 soldiers. 600 soldiers plus Judas, that's 601, plus a few of the religious leaders to go and arrest Jesus and 12 disciples? 13? Why are they carrying torches and lanterns and weapons? I believe they were a little spooked walking through the Kidron Valley. And so it is with many believers. They are walking through life, stuck in an empty religion, operating in dead works, spooked by every little wind of doctrine when Jesus is coming back and what this means in a prophecy and all this stuff, distraction, friends, spooked by every little wind of doctrine and living from a spirit-departed mindset. Like the man that gouged out his eyes. Do you know what it does to them? It pitches a tent in the Kidron family. Friends, we need to live by grace and truth and not by feelings and emotions. I know it's so easy. Our default is feelings and emotions, but live by grace and truth. After Jesus' resurrection from the dead, Mary Magdalene met Him in the garden, thought He was the gardener at first. And He said, Mary. And she said, Rabboni! She knew that voice. And He looked at her and He said, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Now, if Jesus had been living by feelings and emotions, then you know what Jesus did? He missed the perfect opportunity for a long embrace and happy tears celebration with Mary Magdalene. That would have been a perfect opportunity. But Jesus wasn't living by feelings and emotions. He was living by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Friends, may I remind us that we are children of light. And that light always, always, always overpowers the darkness. During Jesus' darkest moments on the cross. Do you know what happened? Do you know what happened in his death? The Bible says the graves were opened. And the departed were raised to life. the Father would demonstrate His power once again over death. When He whispered the words over Jesus' motionless body, He would say, Arise, My love." It was through the Father's exhale that Jesus would rise again. Jesus had triumphed over not only the grave, but He had triumphed over the Kidron Valley that at one time had encased His body behind the stone. Through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you and I are more than conquerors in Christ through Him who loved us. Friends, we are the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus. Jesus made sure of that by rising from the dead. There is no reason for believers to live on the edge. There is no reason for believers to live with spooked feelings and emotions. There is no reason for believers to live with a, Hello, my name is sinner name tag. No. And there is no reason for believers to live from a dead works mentality and a spirit-departed mindset. There is no reason for believers to live like a hero, a Nero, or a zero. We possess something far greater than what the world offers. We are sons of God and we are co-heirs with the One who shed His blood for us, Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 54, we find these words. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus, sensing that he was close to death, cried out. In a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lama now. Which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, or it doesn't say it in Matthew's version, but when he cried out again in a loud voice, he said, it is finished. And when he had said those words, he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And there it says he gave up his spirit. At that moment, come on, no coincidences, right? At that moment, as Jesus is exhaling, at that very moment, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Don't you just love it when daddy shows off? Isn't it beautiful? They've been in the grave for a while. The flesh is gone. The blood has coagulated. And they were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion, that's the Roman, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely, He was exactly who He said He was. He's exactly what the inscription above His head says. King of the Jews. He's the Son of God. Friends, Jesus holds the power over every rock and every tomb. He holds the keys that release us from our hard places and the chambers of death when we look to his innocence and grace, and when we look to his death, burial, and resurrection, the veil is removed. The rocks split. The tombs break open. We are raised in resurrection, life, and power. And at that moment, we cross the Kidron Valley. I'm talking about the valley that runs from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea, the valley that knows nothing but religion and dead works. In John chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, we find these words. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed for Kidron valley. I want these next four words to get in your heart. On the other side! Come on! On the other side. Friends, I want you to know something. I live by these words. Every time I face chaos, every time I face something that's chaotic, I always say it's got an expiration date on it. There's another side. Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley and then says, On the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples Went into it. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Next scriptures. So Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment, a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. This is that 600 plus group, friends. They were carrying torches. Lanterns and weapons, I told you that! Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am He, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again He asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am He. If you are looking for Me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled, I have not lost one, not even one, not a single one of those you gave me. Friends, this narrative begins with the words, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. He crossed the valley of death and on the other side of the Kidron Valley was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. I've come by today to remind us that through salvation in the one man, Jesus Christ, you and I have crossed the Kidron Valley. We have made it safely to the other side. We don't have to apply acid to our eyes when we sin, and we don't have to lop off body parts. Our religious works and sins were swept away into the Dead Sea, a place where nothing survives. You see, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane, at the foot of the Mount of Olives, that Jesus' sweat would become like drops of blood. It was there that He faced the snarl of death and the agony of the cross that lie before Him. It was there also that He came to peace with His Father's will, not only for His life, but for our lives as well. Friends, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane that the prophecy from Caiaphas, the high priest, that year began to take root. Even though Caiaphas saw Jesus as a threat to the existing religious order, he still sought to silence Jesus or exterminate Him. And he would prophesy words before the Sanhedrin that he didn't even know what he was saying. Caiaphas, as he's standing before the religious leaders, He wants to get rid of Jesus as bad as anybody else. But he says these words. He said, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. And the scriptures tell us that Caiaphas did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. What was the charge that Jesus was being brought upon? What was the charge that ultimately got Jesus crucified? What was it? What did He do that was so bad? Had he thrown rocks through somebody's windows? What was it? Well, they said it was blasphemy. He had been charged with blasphemy because he claimed to be one with God. It's the same claim that you and I are making today. We are one with Christ. We are one with God. My final scriptures and thoughts come from Jesus predicting his own death. John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Boy, those words don't wrestle with my heart. They said, we want to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It produces many great, 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 great grandmothers. Lots of seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me and where I am My servant will be also. My Father will honor the One. The One who serves me. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. No matter how many generations we go back, if we remove even one of our grandparents, our grandparents from our family lineage, then we wouldn't exist. In the same manner, it doesn't matter how many religions there are or how far back they date, if Jesus is removed from the centerpiece of salvation they will fall into the Dead Sea, a place where nothing survives. Jesus said that He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man can come to the Father except through Him. It's through the one man, Jesus Christ, that we live and move and have our being in Christ. There's no heroes in Christ. There's no zeros. And in Christ, there's no neros. Only sons and daughters. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Our sins, as small as many have painted them to be, were not misdemeanors. Our sins cost Jesus His life. The law is an impossible standard. You can't pay it forward and you can't pay it hush money to be quiet. Only the precious blood of Jesus could silence its voice once and for all. The good news is we are not under the law, but we are under grace. Therefore, our sins are not counted against us. So, so, Let's ask a really silly question. If you were to throw a rock through your neighbor's window, who would get arrested? You or the rock? After all, the rock did the damage. You would be the one to get arrested because a rock cannot Sin. Why do believers throw rocks at one another? Why do believers throw rocks at themselves? That's a good question. Those are great questions. Why do we do that? Because old covenant programming taught us eye for eye and tooth for tooth. We were taught that one must be stoned for certain sins. But what did Jesus say to the religious leaders? that we're going to stone the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. Jesus said, He that is without sin cast the first stone. And we know the story that one by one from the older ones to the younger ones, they dropped their rocks, their stones, and walked away. And then it was just Jesus and her. And Jesus could fulfill the demand that He just placed on the religious leaders because Jesus was without sin. He could stone her now. Yet He turns to the woman and He whispered these redemptive words, Neither do I condemn you. Friends, it's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright lives in this world as we wait for the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. It is grace that removes the rock of accusation from our tongue and it is the same grace that removes the rock of condemnation from our hand. The next time Your feelings and emotions want to take you for a little stroll in the Kidron Valley. And you begin to ponder about how unfair it was for Adam's sin to be passed down to you through a single act of disobedience. I want you to pause at that moment. I want you to take a time out at that moment and consider how unfair it was for salvation I'm talking about life without end. To be passed down to believers through the result of one man's act of righteousness, Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus gave all. And to reject His sacrifice is to remain in the Kidron Valley, the valley that begins and ends void of life. Would you like to know why I'm so passionate about this grace and why I continue to preach the finished work of Jesus Christ. Would you like to know why? It's because there is a multitude of people out there that are still gouging out their eyes and cutting off body parts in an attempt to Uber their way out of the Kidron Valley. That's why. That's why. Never realizing that the parasite called sin cannot be evicted with poison or extracted with a scalpel. It required Jesus' spotless blood to extinguish the penalty of sin and death and to render the fiery darts of the enemy useless. You say, Pastor Mark, I want to live. I want to live in the freedom that you spoke about this morning. I want to live there. I want to know what it's like to live a life free of accusation and condemnation. I want to experience the grace-filled life that comes by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. Pastor Mark, God knows, I want to be honest with you, when I say I've spent too much time living in the Kidron Valley. Pastor Mark, can you please help me cross over to the Olive Garden on the other side? Friend, you're already there on behalf of your preachers and teachers, I apologize because they forgot to tell you that. You see, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley and on the other side, there was an olive garden and He and His disciples went into it. The olive tree speaks of beauty and abundance. This is the Father's love toward us. Beautiful and abundant. The olive represents gladness and joy. Gladness and joy blossom when the heart is not weighed down by guilt and shame, fear and condemnation. The olive branch is a picture of salvation. The olive tree has been a symbol of peace and victory for centuries. Friends, you and me, us and we, have entered into the Olive Garden through the one man, Jesus Christ. Happy Resurrection Day. Father, I want to thank You so much. I want to thank You, Father, for the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. And when He gives us life, He gives us exactly what He already possesses. We don't have a different kind of life. I pray as this message finds its way into homes and hearts. May it travel across the seas into the jungles and into the barren wildernesses. And may it bring hope. May it bring joy. May it blossom like an olive tree. There's just something so beautiful about an olive tree. Father, I thank You that the finished work of Jesus Christ Reminds us we don't have to live in the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley was not made for us. We have crossed the Kidron Valley. And on the other side, on the other side, we enter into the garden with Jesus. That doesn't mean that we're not going to experience suffering and heartache from time to time. Jesus Himself experienced it in that garden there, That it would come through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so Father, as I look back and I think back as far as my family tree, mine will allow me to go back, I thank You for every grandmother, every grandfather. Because if we just extract one of them, I would not exist. So Father, we have much to be thankful for today. A lot to be thankful for. We don't need to be a hero. We've got to stop seeing ourselves as a zero. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I can hear you say, rise my love. Rise my love beyond the Kidron Valley. Your spirit will never be departed. We have the assurance. We have the assurance the nail-scarred hands and feet of Jesus Christ, the one man who loves us beyond our wildest imaginations. in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE G-I-V-E to 833-632-1315, where you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.